I've already mentioned this before. I've mentioned it during this sermon series. I didn't grow up Anglican. And like many of you, I grew up in a non-denominational evangelical context. And I had a really, really good experience growing up in those churches. And, and was very blessed and had leaders who, who discipled me, who encouraged me, who really built my faith. But one thing that I did feel like was kind of missing from my childhood, my teenage years, was that the churches that I was worshiping at didn't really have a high view of studying the scriptures. Didn't really have a high view of the importance of reading and knowing God's word that we might know him and delight in him. And I remember most of the sermons at my churches growing up were were topical in nature. And it's a little bit ironic because we're in a topical sermon series right now. But not topical like, hey, let's explore the liturgy and how everything is centered on God's word and the gospel. It was topical like, how do I have good friends and how do I be a good neighbor and things like that. And so it was just little biblical principles kind of sprinkled in these different talks. And it wasn't that our churches didn't value scripture, didn't value Bible study. But just by the way our churches preached the word, there wasn't this really high view. And once again, I'm not just trying to dog on these churches. Once again, I, w- I was deeply formed, discipled in these churches. God works in, church, in, in mega churches, in, in all kinds of places. But I knew there was something missing, that there was more to be had in the Bible, that I could know God more deeply than I had been, been trained to know him and to find him in the scriptures. And then one day, my dad started attending Bethlehem Baptist Church, which is where John Piper preaches, or preached at the time. And that name may mean nothing to you, but he's well known for being one of the key figures that reinvigorated Reformation theology in the evangelical church. And so I went to his church, started listening to his sermons, and I was really blown away by how much he does into the Bible, how much he was pulling out of the scriptures and how he was really focusing on the, the, the point of scripture is not to give you life tips, but to reveal God to you. And as you know God more deeply, you're going to love him more deeply. And that changed my life. That sent me on a whole new trajectory. And I ended up going to Moody Bible Institute and then Denver Seminary and having this deep passion all along the way and, and continued to today for knowing and studying God's word. But Baptists aren't the only ones that have like a corner on this market. What was really encouraging for me as I was studying for my ordination exams this past year was finding out how core the doctrine of scripture is to Reformation Anglicanism. If you read the writings of the the original Anglican reformers, if you read, you know, bishops Ridley and Jewell and Archbishop Cranmer, you read the preacher Hugh Latimer, you're going to find that they loved scripture. Everything needed to be rooted and grounded in Scripture. And so the Book of Common Prayer was written so that our worship might be deeply rooted in Scripture, that it might be full of Scripture passages, full of allusions and references to Scripture, so that the Word of God would constantly be in our mouths and in our ears as God's people. Every week when we have a Eucharist service, you're not permitted in the BCP to have a Eucharist service without the preaching of the word preceding it. And I love that. I love all these features of Reformation Anglicanism that put such a priority on the word because it really is through the word that we begin to know and love God more deeply. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim preached on the prayer of purity. And we pray in the prayer of purity Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts, O God, by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. That's code for the doctrine of Scripture. What is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? What has the Holy Spirit inspired? It's the Word of God. And so we are at this hinge point in our service, from the gathering together to the ministry of the Word. 
And we're praying as we head into the ministry of the word, God, may your word have its effect in me. May it cleanse my heart. May it cause me to love you and magnify your name as you deserve. May your word transform me. That's what we're praying. And so it's not already obvious today, we are speaking about why do we read and preach the scriptures? Why do we do that every week in our liturgy? And there's so much that could be said. Entire libraries have been written on the doctrine of scripture, on the doctrine of revelation, on the proclamation of the word. So I'm going to use a phrase from a theologian that I really like. His name's Kevin Van Hooser, and he has this phrase that's going to help us organize our sermon, and it's this. The scriptures are the cradle where the incarnate Christ lies and the scepter by which the ascended Christ rules his church. So first we're going to see how the scriptures are the place where we go to meet and know and love Jesus. And then secondly, that the scriptures are the tool by which Christ rules and reigns in his church, transforming us. And then finally, we're just going to point out the obvious. Both of these metaphors fall apart without Christ as their center. So if you have your Bibles with you, you're going to need them today. We're going to be all over the place, but we're going to start in our psalm, Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, and there are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Obviously, our psalm is all about revelation. We've got heavens and skies and day and night pouring out their voices that we might know the glory of God. All the earth, all of creation is pouring out its voice that we might know that there is a God who rules and reigns. And so we can look at the sunrise and the sunset, the mountains, the oceans, the rivers, the beautiful places in our world, and the stars in the sky, and we can know there is a God out there. There is a God who reigns, a creator God. And yet, that's not enough. Paul says something similar in Romans 1, 18 and 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
That's not a ringing endorsement, actually. Paul is saying, you can look around the natural world, and you can know that there is a God who reigns, a God who is glorious, a God who is your creator, and it leaves you without an excuse, not a saving relationship with that God. And so in our psalm, we see this, that the doctrine of general revelation being proclaimed. There is knowledge of God to be learned from our world, and it cannot save you. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. What does the psalmist actually say is perfect? What is true? What is sure? What is right? What is pure? What is enduring? What is better than all of creation? All the gold in the world and sweeter than the honey dripping from the honeycomb? It's the word of the Lord. It's God's word. It's far better than any message we could ever receive from the natural world. The psalmist is not content to know about God. The psalmist wants to know God. He wants to know him as his God. At the end of the psalm, he says, my Lord, my rock, my redeemer. And unless we have the word, unless we have God's own voice, we can't know him that way. We can't know him personally. And this shouldn't surprise us. This is just how life works. Imagine with me that you had a famous painter that you were just the biggest fan of, and you always went out of your way to go to any museum that displayed her art, and you wanted to see every painting she ever displayed. And you studied this painter, and you knew everything in her full catalog. And then one day, you found yourself in an art museum looking maybe at your favorite painting, and all of a sudden, she walks up to you, and she introduces herself and invites you to coffee. And all of a sudden, you're talking with this painter who you have studied for years. I guarantee you, you would know more about that woman in 15 minutes of conversation than you had in years and years of following her career and all of her paintings. You can know so much about a person without actually knowing them. You can know all kinds of information about them, but in 15 minutes of conversation, you're going to know them more deeply than you ever had before. And it's the same with God. It's what Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. No one can know the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And so how are we to actually know God's thoughts? The same way that I actually learn to know you. I've got to listen to you speak I've got to listen to what you disclose about yourself, how you describe yourself. And God has done that in his word. And that is why the psalmist is thrilled about God's word. The psalmist wants nothing more than he wants the word of the Lord. This is why we say that the scriptures are the cradle where the incarnate Christ lies. Do you actually want to know this God personally? Do you actually want this God to be your God? Do you want to say, God, you are my rock and my redeemer? The only way you can actually know him is if you go to his word, to what he has revealed about himself, to what he has said about himself. You can know a lot about him through other means, but to actually be in relationship with God, you have to go to his word. Now, I'm not saying anything profound here. This is, this is evangelical doctrine of scripture in Revelation 101. So I want to give two points of application that I think are really important. First of all, notice that this is all for our flourishing. What does the psalmist actually say about the word of God and what it does in his life? He says, 
The word of God revives his soul, makes wise the simple, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes. Do you see any begrudging in this? Is there any difficulty or pain or frustration with going to God to hear his word? No. It is a joy. It is a flourishing. It is a delighting in hearing God's word because it reveals God's own heart to us. And once again, this just makes sense. In John 1, we're taught that Jesus is life in himself. And so, of course, when we walk in fellowship with him, then we are walking in fellowship with he who is life. Do you want light and life and flourishing in your life? Then you need to walk in fellowship with Jesus. That's how you do it. And the primary means, the chief way by which we walk in fellowship with God is through his word, is by means of the scriptures. Are there other ways to deepen your life with God? Absolutely. And I'll say it like this. Are there other ways to deepen your friendship, your relationship with your your spouse, your children, your best friends than by talking to them? Totally. You can do so many things to have great fellowship and, and deepened relationship with other people. But do you want to know their heart? Do you want to know your spouse's heart? Do you want to know your child's heart? Do you want to know your best friend's heart? The only way is to listen to them. You have to listen to them, speak and share their heart with you. I want you to know that scripture is God sharing his heart with you. How he loves you, what he's done for you. At what lengths he has gone to bring you into relationship with himself. Do you want to flourish in your life? You need to read scripture. Secondly, you need to read and submit yourself to all of scripture. Just this week, I was on a retreat with a bunch of youth pastors, and it's an annual retreat that I really enjoy, and last year it got canceled because of the pandemic, and so I was excited this year to reconnect with some people that I haven't seen for a while. And it's always a really sweet time, encouraging time, building me up in my ministry to teenagers and, and people who, who get it, who understand what it's like. And they always are so wise about what to do with parents and, and teens in crisis and volunteers and the whole gamut of ministry. So I feel really well known as a youth pastor, but I actually often walk away feeling not that known personally. Because this is a a pretty ecumenical gathering of youth pastors. And so there are some very theologically diverse positions who join together. Now, here's the reality. I can be friends with those people and have, have good friendships with people I disagree with. And at the end of the day, a youth pastor who doesn't believe the same thing about Scripture, who doesn't believe in the same Savior, who doesn't believe in sin and grace like I do, can't actually know me in the deepest parts of my life can't actually speak into the deepest parts of my heart because we fundamentally disagree on some of the most foundational beliefs in the world. And I want to tell you this morning, not to beat you over the head, not to burden you, but because I want your flourishing, if you do not submit yourself to the whole word of God, you can have no deeper a relationship with God than I do with these youth pastors. Ultimately, you are telling God, I I may love you, I may want to follow you, I may believe your word is important in my life, but at bottom, I don't actually give you permission to speak into every area of my life. You're not actually Lord of everything in my world. And so since I disagree with you on these issues, God, you don't get to speak there to me. 
And so I'm not telling you, once again, to burden you, to beat you over the head, but because I want you to know the way to have deep, fulfilling relationship with God, to have the intimate friendship with Jesus you were meant to have, is to actually open yourself up to all of Scripture, to all of what he has to say to you, to all of the difficult and challenging things. Church, it's good that you find something in Scripture difficult to swallow. It means you're human and that God has a challenge for you in some area for you to grow. Just two weeks ago, I was speaking with a high school student at our catechism course who had a really tough time with the fact that we do not teach universalism, that we believe hell will not ultimately be empty. And I'm uncomfortable with that. That's, that's sad. I don't love that that's the truth. And yet it's what I find in Scripture. But when I submit myself to that teaching, I actually find deeper purpose and meaning in my own ministry. Because if everyone's going to heaven, then actually ministry today is just not that important. But if everyone has an eternal destination, either with God or apart from God, then today what you believe deeply matters and I need to proclaim Jesus to you. And so by submitting myself to a teaching that's difficult, it actually grows me. It deepens my walk with Christ. It means I need to know the gospel more fully for myself. Not everything in scripture is easy to swallow. Not everything is easy to agree with. But if you don't open yourself up to everything that God has for you, then you are actually shortcutting and and short-circuiting your own relationship with God. Do you want to know him deeply? Do you want to have that intimate relationship with God? Submit yourself to the full authority of Scripture. Go to the place, the cradle where the incarnate Christ lays, where Jesus promises to meet us again and again and again. But the Scriptures are not just the cradle. They're not just the place where we meet Christ to know Him, to grow in fellowship with Him. They're also the scepter by which the ascended Christ rules His church. So we spent a lot of time talking about the doctrine of Scripture, what we believe about the Bible and the reading of Scripture. But what about preaching? If we really believe, and we do in this church, that we have an infallible book, an infallible Scripture, then why do you have a fallible dude like me up here who messes up all the time preaching to you? So turn with me to 2 Timothy, where we're going to pick up this idea, why do we need preachers? Why do we need people who preach. So 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So Paul, in that passage, starts with kind of the outline of the doctrine we've already explored. Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and therefore it has total authority over our lives to correct us, to transform us, to, to engage us, to encourage us, equip us, build us up. But Paul doesn't stop there. That's, that's where oftentimes our modern, modern Bible studies fail us. 
2 Timothy 3 was today's reading. I'm not getting to 2 Timothy 4 until tomorrow. But Paul is not in a new line of thought. Paul's in the same line of thought when he's talking about Scripture as when he goes on to challenge Timothy to preach. And boy, does he challenge him. He says, in the presence of God and of Jesus who will judge, preach the word. That's what he says. So clearly, we are called to have leaders preaching the word to us. How are we to grow in our faith? How are we to see this this transformation in our lives is through the preaching of the word. I want to look at another passage as well. Ephesians 4, 11 to 15 says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Do you see the parallel between these two passages? How are we to grow? How are we to avoid falling off the wagon, so to speak, forgetting the truth, forgetting the gospel? How are we to grow up in maturity? How are we to grow up into Christ himself? Through the preaching of the word, through the ministry of apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers, shepherds. That's how we grow. Now, you may have already understood. I've just proved a fact. God's design, according to the Bible, is that we would grow. God would rule his church through the preaching of the word. But you still haven't heard the why. Why is it that God does that? If this is infallible, and I can just read it for myself, why do I need fallible people teaching me the Bible? And I would say there's at least two reasons. One in Ephesians 4 and one back in 2 Timothy 4. In Ephesians 4, notice you're told that we are given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. It doesn't say you're given their ministry. You are given them. You are given the very people. And so I want you to know that the power of preaching, much of the power of preaching is in your relationship to the preacher. That unless you are actually putting yourself under a pastor, or actually putting yourself under discipleship in a church, That preaching probably is not going to have a huge effect in your life. We are not just, you know, giving you information and nuggets so your brains can be filled. We are pastors. Tim and I and Deacon Carrie, we want to be in your lives. If you have not opened yourself up to really deeply belonging to the church, to really connecting to this community, to putting yourself in a discipleship relationship to a pastor then of course you're, you're not going to get a whole lot out of the preaching. I'll just tell you right now. The design is for you to actually imitate the lives of godly Christian leaders who've been put above you. And they're going to fall and they're going to fail and they're going to make mistakes and you get to watch how they recover, how they return again and again to the grace of Christ. You need to be connected to that preacher. It's not the same thing as listening to a sermon online from a pastor you've never met. You need to be in the local church hearing the sermon live to you. Secondly, in 2 Timothy 4, we see that there's this huge list of all these things that happen without the preaching of God's word that people wander off into myths. They find themselves new teachers. They don't endure sound teaching. They won't listen to the truth. But I think it's all rooted in what he says at the end of verse 3. It's to suit our own passions. 
Why does anybody wander away from the word? Why does anybody wander away from the truth? Because of twisted passions in our hearts. And this is a theme we preach on all the time. You need the the passions, the affections, the loves of your hearts transformed so that you love Jesus more than every false idea. That you love the gospel more than any false gospel. And so how does that happen? Well, there's a, a Scottish reformer by the name of Thomas Chalmers who has a little book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Here's how that works. Imagine you have a beaker and you are told, I need you to get all of the air out of this beaker. I need it completely empty of air. Now, there's a couple ways you can go about this. One way is you could try to create a vacuum and suck all of the air out of the beaker and you need a perfect seal. Now, this would be akin to your heart saying, I need to get all of the evil loves, the twisted and disordered affections of my heart out. And I can do that by showing my heart how the world isn't worthy of my love and and pouring shame on those false desires and, and creating a really tight seal around my heart so that nothing tempting ever enters my heart. Good luck with that, especially in the internet age. Good luck with keeping every temptation away from your heart and creating a strong enough vacuum to suck out the evil desires of your heart. No, there's a way simpler way. Pour water in the beaker. Pour a heavier, more glorious substance into the beaker. Pour a heavier, more glorious affection into your heart. The love of Christ himself. The work of preaching is heralding Christ. Putting Christ in front of your eyes. That you might see him as more glorious, more beautiful, more wonderful. Better than anything else in all creation that you would love him above everything else. That's the work of preaching. We're not here to give you life tips so that your life might be a little better. That's not the point of preaching, although the preaching should apply to your life. We're not here to entertain you, although Tim and I agree it's a sin to make the Bible boring. We're not here to give you lots of cultural wisdom so you can understand your culture, although the Bible should help you understand the world you live in. We are here to put Christ in front of your eyes so that you would look on Jesus with love and adoration. That's why we're here. That's why we preach the word. And that brings me to my final point. If the scriptures are the cradle where the incarnate Christ lies and the scepter by which the ascended Christ rules his church, both of those metaphors fall flat without Christ. They fall flat without him. So I'm not going to read our entire gospel passage. It was long. You already heard me read it once. But he says the, the gist of it in verses 39 to 40 and then 45 to 47. Here's Jesus You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And again in verses 45 to 47, Do not think that I will accuse you to my Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? What is Jesus saying to the Pharisees and what is he saying to you and me? You can read the whole Bible and miss the point. You can have a really high view of doctrine. The Bible's infallible and miss the whole message of scripture. You can just miss it. The Pharisees had a really high view of scripture. You can sit under thousands of hours of preaching and you can hear all the truths of scripture expounded. But if they aren't proclaiming Christ to you, your heart's not going to grow you're not going to be transformed. 
Charles Spurgeon famously said to preachers, no Christ in your sermon, sir? Go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. And he was right. We are not here to make you fat-headed with a cold heart. Not interested in it. We're not here to proclaim moralistic, therapeutic deism. Avoid these sins. Do these good things. You're going to be better. I'm not interested in it. I am interested in Christ and his gospel every single Sunday. How does the grace of Jesus Christ change everything? How does what Christ did on my behalf fulfill all of the law and all of the commandments that I couldn't keep so that I could be counted perfectly righteous before God? How does Jesus take all of my sin, all of my failures, all of my falling short and take it away? Bear my sin and bear it away from me so that I could walk in peace with my God, in right relationship with my God. Trinity, how are you reading your Bibles? I don't ask you to burden you. I don't ask you because you're not reading them enough. I don't ask you to make you feel bad. I ask you because I want you to have access to the grace and mercies that are new every single morning. I want you to see the tender, loving heart of Christ for you. I want you to see that every story is ultimately about Jesus. Everything Moses wrote was about Jesus. Everything all the prophets wrote was looking forward to Jesus. And everything the apostles wrote was looking back to Jesus. It's all about Christ. And if you read the Bible, it's about you, about how you can measure up, how you can do more, how you can be better. You're either going to become fat-headed and smug, or you're going to become despairing as you realize you can't do it. You need Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones famously said, any reasonable person who would read the Sermon on the Mount, fall down on their knees and pray, God, save me from the Sermon on the Mount. I can't do it. I need Jesus, the one who perfectly fulfills all the law and commandments and stands in my place on the cross, taking the death that I deserve. Are you receiving that grace in your reading of scripture every day? Are you receiving that message of the free forgiveness we have with God because of his son? Are you submitting yourself to the preaching of the church in relationship with us preachers, as your disciples, as your pastors? Are you having your heart transformed and a new affection put inside of you? Trinity, we are a people of the word because we want to know God. We want to walk in fellowship with him. We want to see our lives transformed. And we know we need nothing more than the gospel every single day. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do have twisted affections, disordered loves in our hearts that make it so easy for us to read your word, this incredible life-changing gift and miss it. Lord, help us not to miss it. Help us not to miss Jesus. Give us more of Jesus this morning, we pray. Holy Spirit, put a spotlight on the grace and mercy we have in Christ. We want to know him more deeply, more truly. Would you give us a passion for your word? It's in your name we pray. Amen.